Welcome to the Therapy Evolved Podcast, brought to you by Paragon Wellness. Each episode, we discuss the modern behaviors that trigger positive emotional states by tapping into the body and brain's evolved needs, which are so often neglected in modern life. Join us as we talk with experts in a relevant field, as well as everyday people who've experienced better mastery over themselves and their lifestyles through applying the principles of behavior we espouse. And if you'd like to know more, please join us at paragon-counseling.com or facebook.com slash paragonwellness. Thanks again for joining us. therapist, uh, Scotty Clock, or New Orleans area-based therapist, uh, Scotty Clock, and he is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and we're going to talk about um, what he does and where he specializes and how he came to be uh, sort of an expert, right? Uh, Here we interview experts, and we also interview living laboratories, and some experts are both, and some living laboratories laboratories are also experts. And these are just people who know something about a unique topic that's relevant to our society and our evolution, and also to the practice of mental health and how it can be made better. Uh, So if you're still listening with us, I apologize for the long gap, guys. Uh, The dissertation struggle is real. I will endeavor to have more content for you guys and less window of open time, but thanks for bearing with me. So Scotty, welcome aboard, man. How are you doing today? I'm fine, Ken. Thanks so much. Yeah. Hey, thanks for agreeing to come out here, man. Um, it's There's so much to be said about mental health. It's becoming more and more of a hot topic. Um, so many of our problems can be traced back to, and we didn't care for people's mental health before they become a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Scotty, if you could, man, um, tell us what you do, how you're different, and why you came to do it. Well, okay, so that's a few things right there. Um, Well, I am, so you already said I'm a licensed professional counselor. I I started practicing in 2003 as an intern. Uh, I've been licensed since 2006, so I've been doing this for quite a while. Um, I have a private practice in Metairie, and I practice from my home office. And guys, uh, if you're not familiar, Metairie is like on the lip of New Orleans. Yes, yes. Um, and, uh, my clients love it, um, love it there. I, you know, I actually think it's more private than having an office. Um, and the way I set things up is I never see clients back to back. Um, I always leave at least an hour gap between my clients. So if we go a little over, that's not necessarily all that big of a deal. Um, and as you're leaving, you're not, you know, you're not crossing paths with the person who's coming in. So... Sorry, say you that know, part again about where, you're, uh, where you work, where you're located again. I'm in Metairie on Mirick. Okay. Um, yeah. In, uh, yeah. But you um, said it was different than a traditional office. I missed it. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, no. I have a home office. Oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Man, how yeah. do you handle the zoning and, and nastiness like that? Cause... Well, that is not difficult. Um, you know, because I don't have multiple clients, you know, people coming in and out constantly. Okay. Um, I, you know, like I said, I... Um, I always leave at least an hour gap between clients. Okay, so, so you, don't have to, you don't have big signs, you don't have... Absolutely like, you know. not. No, no, no. So it's totally private. People come in, 
um, anybody in the neighborhood who might see someone coming into my house just thinks that it's a guest coming right. in. Yeah. I have a carport. They can pull in right behind me and come around to the front door and the office it's at the front of the house. And the reason we bought this house was because there's a door um, that it, it closes off and it, the office is separated from the rest of the house. So it's a great little setup. Awesome. It's, I, a, it's a nice, cozy atmosphere for clients. You know, I'm a real fan of the concept of skin in the game. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> and <laughs> nothing says that you're confident that you're good at what you do and that you do the right thing than inviting people to your where you sleep. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. You're, if you say, hey, look, man, I am willing to show you where I am parked and where mm. I go to bed at night. If you, are, if you have a real problem with me, you know where to find me. I'm not going to cheat you. Oh, this is true. Right? So I can <laughs> imagine the screaming objections you know, from the distance there. So how do you, but then again, you know, there are some people who are not safe to work with, you know, violent populations, this sort of stuff. How do you screen your, uh, your clientele to where you make sure that you're not putting anyone at risk and, you know, you are keeping proper tabs? I really, um... So one thing, you know, with, with everything being online now, and I love having an online presence, but I, whenever I'm corresponding with a potentially new client, I like to say, um, I want to call you or please give me a call and I would like to, to chat for five, ten minutes or so, give you the opportunity to ask me whatever questions you may have. I have a little spiel that I kind of run through, especially since I work from my home. And it gives me the opportunity to speak with them and kind of feel them out a little bit and see where they are, um, see if they're going to be the right fit for me and if I'm going to be the right fit for them. Yeah, for sure. And that's really, you know, um, as long as I've been doing it, it's it's never been a problem. Awesome. So I'm sure a little bit of that might be luck, but um, but it has never been a problem. Yeah. And, you know, it's if you, if you think that because you have a public office mm -hmm. that someone can't find you, Right. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, if you're on social media, if most of us are unfortunately not very tech savvy, right? When it comes to cleaning up their demographic data mm -hmm. and putting in their numbers and mailing lists, that kind of right. stuff. So if they want to find you, they can find you. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, and you know, the, the only ever scary situation I ever had was about 12 years ago before I was ever working from my home. And it was, um, it was a client who... Um, was uh, who had psychotic issues. I was unaware of that before he started. Sure. And we were doing an evening session. I think I might have been the only um, the only uh, therapist left in the building. Yeah. And that was quite scary. Yeah, that is rough, man. Especially, like, most of our clientele, you know, 9 to 5 is still the norm. Right. right? So I, I imagine you see people in the evening. I do. My last appointment, though, is, is at 6. Oh, see, I'm, I've got people here until 10 p.m. I, I wouldn't be able to. I am up at 5 a.m., and I, I think I, I would be biting the, the inside of my lips so hard to keep from yawning. I don't think I could be Fair at enough. my best for my clients. Fair enough. Fair and, enough. and that's really important to me, to be at my very best for my clients. Awesome. It really is. So it's, I, I, I admire people um, who, are, uh, who are night owls. I am yeah. definitely not one of those people. Well, that's great, because I would die if I had to see somebody at 5 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't do that. I don't do that, but I see clients starting at 8 a.m. 
Okay. So anywhere between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. That's fair. Good. That's a, yeah. You know, yeah. Hopefully you get a gap in between. You get to do some self-care and stuff. Oh, a- oh, absolutely. I think it's very, very important. I don't ever like to schedule. Honestly, four is a perfect number. I don't ever like to schedule more than five people in a day. Yeah, five is um, my cap, too. So. Right? And, um, and what I like to do for clients is um, because I know a lot of people prefer for evenings and those are the busier times and that's when everybody is trying to get in so if you're able to get in between the hours of eight and two it's a 20 percent discount oh nice so, so okay. and then yeah and then of course because between three and six or three and seven those are the busiest times for everybody it's it's not oh it's more expensive it's just my full fee sure yeah yeah well and you know again i, I can't stress enough like how impressive if i'm if i'm seeking counseling right and i don't speak for everybody who ever wants counseling I'd be thinking, okay, this guy trusts himself. He's willing to show me where he lives. Oh, you yeah. know, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but that's such a big thing. Um, and that, that shows that you're, it, it's a real like evolutionary signal of honesty, right? You're, you're putting your skin in the game. You're putting yourself out there. When you think about the, the people that you could best serve, like what is the, your ideal population as far as like there is no one on the planet I am meant to serve more than this being? Oh, wow. Okay. So if we're going to get really specialized, and you know, as a, as a licensed marriage and family therapist, I love working with all couples. Sure. I really, really do. Yeah. But um, within that specialty, I subspecialize in working with, um, with gay men. Okay. Um, and yeah, and gay couples. Yes. And yeah, you know, it's, um, this is, you're outside of New Orleans. Yes. So you're in the right place. Sort of. So, you know, it's so interesting living in, I love living in the suburbs, I really do, and and, um, the great thing about this area, right, it's not like Texas, where everything is so spread out, Metairie is 15 minutes away from New Orleans proper. It's really interesting, some people from New Orleans flat out do not want to venture outside of New Orleans. They do not want to venture outside of New Orleans. Interesting. So it's, yeah, so there there is um, a little bit of that, you know, really, you know, trying to show that, no, I, I really do think I'm, I'm probably the best person to work with you. And I hope it's worth that extra 15 minutes of your time. Um, and that we will have a great working relationship and you will see the results that you're looking for. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, at some, you know, you never want to like diminish the autonomy of the people that you, you serve, but at some point you're like, Hey man, if you're serious about improving yourself, like, You'll go through these exercises. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think you need to, yeah, I think you need to find, and I think that's really important, and, and I think sometimes people don't realize that and sort of look at, and tell me if you think uh, you agree, that people see therapists sort of as a commodity. It's sort of right. like go through a list, and they don't know any names or anything, but yeah. they sort of close their eyes and point, and that's the person they're going to call. Yeah. And it's such an important, you know, 90% of you know the work that's done, and the, you know, um, you know the progress that you're going to make is going to really be through this relationship. It's being able to form the rel- the, the client counsel relationship. So it's it's so important, um, really who you pick, and that it's oh, going to yeah. be the right person for you. Well, there's a there's an element of like denial of common sense mm-hmm. in that. <laughs> uh, would you trust any mechanic? Would you trust any physician? Right. Would you trust any babysitter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> wow, you yeah. know, uh, and what's more important? And I'm not saying that we're gonna like use the force on you, of course. But like, what's more important than the development of your mind? Without that, 
light is the window of perception to recognize that you are you and that you are conscious, right? When you're when you're asleep, the lights are out. You're not up. When you're gone, you know death occurs according to um, you know Epicurus. You know mm-hmm. uh, where I am. You know where death is, I cannot be. Where I am, death cannot be. So mm-hmm. when there is perception, there is life, and there's nothing more core to perception than the mind. And if if you're willing to commoditize and roll the dice and spin the wheel on who you trust to work with your mind. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say, like, I can't understand it. Because in the way you perpetrate this as a professional, you know, um, all, you'll never catch a mechanic going, always seek a mechanic that it could be any mechanic. Right. <laughs> so, on the one hand, we don't compete with ourselves to I think that's one of my opinions. I think that like, look, be professional, be polite, shake hands, and wish mm-hmm. everyone well. But competition is good. Um, diversification of ideas is good. You don't need a, a united front behind your licensing body and your lobbying body, right? You need to show that I have a different opinion than this guy, right? And if you like that and you like the evidence that I propose, good. You know, I think our our field can make leaps and bounds if we're allowed to disagree a little bit more openly. I I absolutely agree. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree that um, for some, you, you get commoditized to, I like that word, where you just think anyone will do, as long as they take my insurance, as long as they're within 15 minutes, as long as I can, as I can see them after I pick the kids up from daycare. Right, right. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree more and I, I, with the, the fact that it is a trend, and I couldn't agree more with the uh, problem with that line of logic, right? I understand it, though, right? You have a busy life. You don't have so much money. right. Um. Now, at the same time, though, right, like, what are we doing to be better than the commoditized? That's, like, does it fall on the person seeking help, or does it fall on the provider to say, hey, actually, how am I standing out? How am I doing a better job? How, I mean, the essence of business is to help people. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right about that, and, and that is ultimately our responsibility. Part of that comes back to business in yeah. some senses, right, which... You know, unfortunately, and we don't know this going into it, that's not what we're going to be uh, taught in school. Of course not. Right? And so then we, we, we have to learn all of this kind of stuff on the back end. You know, I think business is way simpler than, de- than degrees make it, especially for individual service-based products, mm-hmm. which is, hey, how can I help the people that I am best at helping, and how can I make it as easy and as impactful as possible for them to seek my services? Right. Right? Um, and that... It, if you could do that better than everyone else, you'll do well you know, in any field, right? You can be in the most saturated field, but if you are 10% better than the other guy and 10% easier to access, and 10, you give 10% more than the other guy, eventually it's going to catch up. You know, mm-hmm. I think um, the days of like the scumbaggy, like aggressive sales pitch with the hidden membership and the sneaky fees, those are done. That should, yeah, well, that should never be in our profession. Of course. It should, it should really never be in any profession. And right. what's cool about this is in, in an age of reviews and technology, you can't be a big bag for money. Words don't matter. Right. You know, and, and I love that. You know, I think, uh, and not only that, like, if you're ineffective, in our profession, it's okay to suck as long as you're ethical. <laughs> right? If you're, if you're of no use to anyone but you're ethical about it, it's okay. You get to keep your license. Here. Carry on. Well, right. <laughs> that you can do. Yes, you can keep your license. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, and I know I'm you know, being a little bit <laughs> gruff about it, but that's okay. Uh, so, who you serve, 
gay men in and around New Orleans, any particular, and, and I guess relationship issues, so the relationship issues for gay men in, yeah, in and around? Well, I, and to be very clear about it, I, I have, um, I mean, probably overall I have more straight couples sure. than gay couples, but I think it's so important um, to emphasize that I work with gay men because that's just one more element right there, right? That, you know, it's it's so important to find the right therapist for you. And you're opening up to this person who is a stranger and letting them, you know, into your private world and your private thoughts and your secrets and being vulnerable. And, you know, when you're a gay person, it really then is going to be particularly important to find the right therapist for you. Okay, so let you know, I don't understand these issues in depth, right? So let's imagine for a moment that I am a gay man and I have a problem uh, with either with some sort of mental health aspect that any of us can have or with particular relationship issues that any of us could have. What are going to be some things that I'm going to have to watch out for or be concerned about or worry about misconceptions if I'm a gay man who's going to seek counseling? What are some things I'm going to, I'm going to be you know, everyone's an individual, right? But what are right. some common things that I'll have to have on my plate and wonder if this person can help me? Or what will they get wrong, you know? Right. Um, there are many, you know, when I was in school, um, and I think this this might be one of the best ways to, to uh, talk about this, you know, we were taught not to... Um, to try to keep your personal views and perspectives um, out of the counseling room. Sure. Well, we know now that that just doesn't happen. I mean, you're you're coming in with your own set of values. You just are. Um, And so you really need to be aware of them. um, And that also, um, you know, if you are being very mindful of your ethics, realizing what your limitations are and who you can best serve and who you probably should not be working with. Sure. And I remember um, when I was still in school, um, I had had my text, uh, my techniques classes, and so, um, but I was um, as part of my internship, um, being a coach, and. Um, I sat in, I was, I was pretending to be the client, and I was pretending to be um, a gay person who was just coming out and having problems in this relationship. And um, the, the counselor said, you know, said something to me along the lines of, you know, um, so, you know, how has your family dealt with your choice to be gay? Okay. As the client, I stayed in character, and I I sort of got in an uproar. I sure. was just appalled. She got really flustered. She yeah. got really, really well, flustered. And, and y'all, uh, for those listening, techniques classes, you have extremely fresh um, students. Yes. Going through the process to learn how to do this stuff day to day, right? Uh, so you're very likely to see these blunders early on. It doesn't mean they're not compassionate or any of that stuff. It just means, hey, they don't know better. Right. Right. And it's true. But um, if you're not as familiar um, with with working with people in the gay community, um, 
you know, you may not know the language. Um, you know, there might still be this idea of sexuality being a choice. Sure. Um, there might be, um, you know, not understanding some of the cultural differences um, that exist. And um, while, you know, sexuality is not a choice, lifestyle is a choice. And sure. that's okay. And there, you know, by some people not understanding how some of the lifestyle, um, you know, how there might be some differences there and how it is, it's perfectly fine and it's okay and it's acceptable within the culture. But what unique challenges then um, do they bring to relationships? I feel like the cultural thing could be its own like thing to loop back to. Mm-hmm. So let's draw a circle around it and come back to it with more okay. detail. Sure. But uh, the other things you said, I think we can maybe pick a little uh, cleaner quicker is... Um, so there's sort of a vocabulary and a sort of societal misunderstanding about this being a intrinsic personality trait as opposed to just an, a choice of behavior, mm-hmm. right? And someone saying that it's a choice may not even mean to be offensive, right? but it, I guess it maybe shows two things that I can tell, and a lot of things I probably can't. So the first being like, and correct me if I'm off mark on this, but I'm saying out loud, one being like, it's not a choice, and this is such a basic thing that if you don't have that right, there's probably so many other subtle things that you'll be of no use to me. Is that possible? I, you know, I, I hadn't thought of it exactly that way, but I think you're exactly right. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. the second thing I think is, like, by saying it's a choice, you are completely diminishing the opportunity cost I've had to endure to get here to, um, to be who I am right. and not hide it anymore. Uh, so there's sort of like, if you, this is such a central identity issue that failing to grasp this means it's going to be very difficult to come to terms with. Yes, yes. Okay. Is there any other major point out of that that I'm just completely not, not seeing? So I'm, I'm stretching outside of myself to even understand that one. Well, right? I must say you did it brilliantly. Absolutely, yeah. And are there any other like core issues? Because a lot of our listeners are mental health practitioners. Mm-hmm. Right, so is there any okay. other... If you think about like common misconceptions like that, or like if I'm a gay man mm-hmm. seeking counseling, while respecting that I'm an individual and my choices will be different from the next gay man, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's the identity piece. There's the understanding of the fact that this is a core personality trait. And I guess I mentioned the opportunity cost, mm-hmm. right? Are there any other basic challenges that I, you know, that I would be looking to make sure that my practitioner understood or was at least open to? This is so. This actually takes it back to culture. Okay, perfect. Um, I think so. Um, I think there is. It is much more common to have open relationships. Okay. In the gay community. And that's where you talk about lifestyle versus uh, intrinsic personality. Pre- right. Okay. Right. Absolutely. Um. And again, and and I I certainly don't mean. You know, I'm I'm a gay man. I certainly don't mean to stereotype, but if we're talking about stats, um, it is it is m- much more common and much more open. You know, I mean, we know that there are straight couples who do have open relationships, but it's still very taboo. Sure. And so they really don't talk about it. So we don't really know the stats on that so much, but it is it's still probably you know it's higher in the gay community, and it is it is much more open and accepted. Well, and you know, this is a, this is an evolutionary psychology podcast at the core, mm-hmm. right? And so when I think about some of the selection pressures involved, mm-hmm. it makes sense that if 
there's a smaller number of people rearing children in the gay community. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps one of the things that keep people in monogamous relationships, even when they may not particularly desire that as an optimal outcome, is they're thinking about the raising of a nuclear family. Yes, yes. Yeah. I had a, uh, a straight couple. Um, again, I think I'm going back to actually right after Katrina. Um, right as we were getting, as, as we were all getting back. And there really weren't a whole lot of therapists um, back yet. Um, so, but I had a a straight couple. She was straight, he was bi. Okay. He was bisexual. Um, and they were pretty open, and, and they did threesomes and that kind of a thing. She was newly pregnant. Okay. And she really wanted to, he was, he was very anxious about this, this new change, this change that was going to be, you know, happening once this the baby was born that was um kind of a frightening thing for him more so than it was for her but also that she wanted to she wanted to change their lifestyle she thought that since they were bringing a baby into their family she wanted to stop having an open relationship and she wanted to have you know a more traditional family and so that's you know what we were working through so that really kind of ties in with with what you were saying yeah Um, yeah you know there's it is interesting, right? Because there's all sorts of cultural and personal reasons and mm-hmm. psychological reasons. And then there's the biological, right? Like, um, what changes if, you know, there's a young child around demanding multiple people's attention? What mm-hmm. changes to hormones? What changes to sex drive? Right. What changes to the sense of safety if you're putting a child at risk maybe by inviting possible strangers? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's all sorts of issues to work out there. Um, and then, you know, my God, the judgment of the cultural majority around you if you deviate from that right. whatever that is. Right. And not that everyone does change it. You know, there were um recently at a uh CEU luncheon that I, I attend monthly, we talked about uh the topic was polyamory, which is different from having an open relationship. Sure, yeah. But it was really interesting that I was with these therapists, um, most of whom were, were a good bit older than I am, actually, and who had no clue of polyamorous relationships. They were, it was really entertaining to watch and they were just shocked. Just the look of shock on their faces that this ever (laughs) even existed. That's what I was just going there. Because like, it blows my mind that you're going to be a therapist. (laughs) Your job is to deal with the depths of emotional difficulty and trauma Mm -hmm. and cognitive restructuring and to work with all manner of minds. Mm And be, you know, in the possibilities of, that exist in the world, right? War crimes, human trafficking, um, cancer, right? School shootings. To be shocked by who someone decides to sleep with. Right. Right. It, 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 it hurts a bit to think that that would drive a professional to scratch his head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. Now, Going back to the ethics part and kind of what we were talking about earlier, there was there was one therapist who, in particular, she was really interested in asking questions. At the same time, she was pretty, it sounded like she was really pretty appalled. Sure. But she was open enough to ask questions. But she said, and she owned this, she's like, you know, I'm very Catholic, and while I, I am interested and I don't want to judge anybody, I could not work with this. Sure. So good for her for knowing that. Well, interestingly enough, right, uh, we're, this, God, this loops back to culture and technology as mm-hmm. well. Like, um, so we're in an environment, right or wrong, I mm-hmm. don't know, where you get punished 
by sticking around in one piece of identity saying you don't want to deal with someone from another identity. Hmm. Personally, if I have an issue that somebody doesn't want to work with, like let's say they don't like uh, bald Caucasian men that used to be in the <laughs> I don't want to work with them. I'm not going to force you. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. you know, let's say that I could sue them mm-hmm. because they don't like uh, bald men who used to be in the Right. Life, right? Um, it seems destructive to me in that you're going to have a scenario where people can't admit their own incompetence. Right. Right. And that, that's a whole separate can of worms. But yeah, so looping back to the culture here, the the fact that you mentioned religion. Yes. So let's tie up the child bit real quick and the nuclear family bit. And then okay. let's go. So I'm certain religion, even in 2019, plays a massive role in the, you know, I don't want to say oppression per se, but like the opportunity cost, the difficulties, the lack of acceptance, the, the appalled treatment right. that people may have. So with the nuclear family aspect, um, it is, like, how do you see, because at the end of the day, you serve the community the same way you serve the individual client. And, you know, thinking about the development, um, what would you say about, like, the myth versus the reality of the effects of, say, homosexual couples or bisexual couples on children uh, and the development of children? And there's a lot of like old school ideology you could probably already predict that I'm about to throw out. Right, there. right. You know, of like, oh well, um, and you know, this shows its own toxicity. But like, <laughs> you know, if you allow gay couples to raise children, they're going to make those those kids gay. Or, um, and you know, I'm throwing in my sort of redneck voice <laughs> to try to show <laughs> that I don't actually espouse these ideas, guys. Don't clip it. Don't clip this individual segment and call me a bigot. <laughs> but like, you know, or. Um, oh, it's an inherent dysfunction, so you shouldn't be raising children, right? I'm sure you've heard these remarks before. Yeah, I have to say I'm quite glad it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's, it's been a while, um, but absolutely. It's, it's bringing back a lot of memories for me. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, gosh, like I've over, already well stretched beyond my actual competence here. What do you have to say on this topic? Like, and, you know, how do you address it? How do you deal with it if it comes up? What do you have to say about people listen to people listening that may not know anything about these right so and and i I hope this I would actually love this to be able to get more clients who come in who are trying to struggle with their own children um coming to the realization of their sexuality, you know actually you know seeking out help and you know what should I be doing about this and um you know taking the idea of um of, of gay people, of lesbians raising children. And we know that what is important is that children are raised in an environment um, where they are loved, where they feel safe, where um, they're yeah. taught healthy, uh, let's say proper, and that's not the right word, sure. healthy, effective communication skills. Sure. Where they have enough resources, right? Where yeah. they have enough resources and they see that they have two parents and not that you have to have two parents, but right, quote unquote, ideally, they have the two people there who love each other, if and they nothing, know they love each other. Yeah, you've got the modeling piece. Yes. And you've also got the division of labor, right? It is not possible to do a perfect, a near perfect job if you have to be the only economic provider and the only provider of childcare. Right. It it, it cannot happen. While you're, right. you cannot be in two places at once, even the best single moms. Right. While while that single parent is out making money. Who's raising their kid? Well, probably the ex-wives. 
because they don't have family because they just have to survive. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think it's far more, you know, and I guess the research that you dive deep probably shows, you've probably looked at it heavier than I have, but it probably shows that it's way better to have a happy couple of any um, gender or sexual identity than to have a single parent struggling on their own of any gender or sexual identity. Well, that, yeah, Barring I abuse mean, abuse by, you know. Or, look, I, you know, I had a mother and father growing up, um, and it was a nightmare of a marriage. Um, I grew up in a home of, and I adore my mother. Um, my father um, had the tendency to be abusive, um, both verbally and physically. They finally divorced when I was 10, but in a lot of ways, the damage was done. Sure. And um, while I would never have picked another mother, right, I would much prefer have been raised by you know, two men or two women yeah. who were gentle and loving and kind, and and I saw that they really loved each other. I don't think I ever really saw any genuine um, love and affection and warmth between my parents. What I remember is screaming and yelling. Sure. You know, and... Um, and it's hard to say that um, a heterosexual couple automatically means better. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the idea... That oh well, if, um, you know, two gay people raising a child, well, that that child is going to grow up to be gay. Well, a I would say, okay, so what? Right. But we know that the data does not show that. Right. It does not support that. It, right. It's at all. Well, and, and it is interesting, right? So I want to bring in some like research I looked into. It's old research, but you know, there's no reason to believe it doesn't still hold mm-hmm. because it's, it follows animal trends. But I can't help and look. I'm. I don't want to come across as if I'm hostile to religion, right? Um, but we can't deny that fundamentalism of any form has its like its hooks in and is has these wave effects on our culture that hold us back as a society mm-hmm. technologically and culturally, right. right? So restrictions on stem cell research, for example, or you know uh, tax deferments on you know on religious institutions rather than scientific research or something along mm-hmm. those lines, right? Or, uh, per, you know, stopping people from having adequate uh, contraceptives for religious reasons, you know. Right. So, uh, you know, there, we can't deny, even if you hold to a spiritual um, tradition, and I'm not faulting you for that, that that has its effects. Absolutely. And I can't help but think about the effects of fundamentalist religion on homosexual issues. Well, right, that is... You know, until 1970, it was 1973, right? I, I think it was that finally um, um, it was taken out of the, uh, homosexuality was taken out of the DSM mm-hmm. as a mental disorder. But the right. problem is not homosexuality, it's, it's the anxiety, it's the depression, it's substance abuse, um, you know, um, as a way of trying to, which is an anti-coping mechanism, right? right we call it a coping mechanism. It's really anti-coping. Um, a way of trying to deal with the pain of feeling shut out from society. And that's something that society does, that imposes sure. on people. The problem is society. It's not the gay person. Sure, yeah. And, you know, thinking this, and that's a, that, this is a supposedly scientific text Right. That until 1970, mm-hmm. you're essentially mentally disturbed, right? Or you have uh, ego dystonic issue, right? For who you 
for what consensual adult relationship you choose to have. Right. Right. You right. Know? You know. Right. Uh, I. Um, it was it was such a wonderful thing for the community. Finally, in two thousand fifteen, when SCOTUS um, made its decision and gay people were allowed to marry, yeah. and then, but I still heard my husband's mother was still like, I I don't agree. And then next next people will, will want to be marrying their dogs, or they'll want to marry their sofa, or they'll want to like really right. like I'm really I'm, I'm glad that you see. Um... My partner, as akin to an inanimate object, object or an animal, thank you, right, right. Or, or a child, someone yeah. who is not able to give consent, right, right, yeah, right. Uh, and you know, then there's the whole like, well, marriage is a religious institution. It's like, no, marriage is an agricultural institution <laughs> for the division of property. Mm-hmm. But right, you know, um, so yeah, I can't help but think about how that's affected people. And you know, if I have to think about the one thing I've heard most about from religious people, and again, you can't generalize, right? Well, absolutely not. Uh, on the one hand, you could have Muslim imams, uh, mm-hmm. pro- you know, providing charity to oppressed, you know, oppressed homosexual populations in war-torn countries, mm-hmm. and then two blocks over, you could have ISIS kicking them off of roof, mm-hmm. right? So you can't generalize, of course. Right, of course not. But I think the one thing I've heard the most is that it's, and you may cringe as you hear this, because I can't imagine a single gay person who grew up I'll in brace it. myself. <laughs> it's unnatural. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sh- that You had to have heard this before, from some... Sure. You know? And I can't help but think, like, that is the most scientifically untrue statement I've ever come across in relation to biology. That mm-hmm. it's unnatural, you know. I, well, I sucked at biology, so I'm <laughs> I'm really glad to hear you say that because that you know when I was when I was very young, um, that was something that weighed very very heavily on me. I mean, I came out at eighteen. Well, like it's wrong. It's unnatural. Sure. Uh, God didn't make you this way. Like mm-hmm. these sorts of things. Right? Ah, or or if if innately you are like this, then. There just is something defective about you. Right. Or, yeah, you're, you're incorrect. You're inferior. You are, uh, right. uh, what is it? Like, you are uh, out of operation or something. Right. Right? Well, going back to the fact that it was, you know, considered a, a, a mental health issue until sure. 1973. Yeah. And that was just framed by the discussion that it was a sin. Right. You know? And it is interesting if you, we can go back into history. I like history even more than biology, but um, urbanized populations that did not have monotheistic religions. Mm-hmm. Homosexuality tended to be extremely uh, far more prevalent and accepted, as well as transgender issues like eunuchs and uh, mm-hmm. things of this nature. And I'm, guys, I'm not conflating the two. I'm just saying that historically there are precedents. Right. Um, and so you can see, like, a lot of this was a function of the societies where uh, monotheistic religions came from tended to be pastoral, nomadic, anthropomorphic. Right. And societies such as like ancient Greece, ancient Rome, Carthage, Phoenicia, uh, the Indian city-states, the, um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce this, but anything of those old urban centers, Babylon, you know, homosexuality was not only tolerated, it was, uh, it was venerated as people who chose a, a societal support role on a collective level, like rather than raise children, they'd become high priests, they, um, they developed arts and architecture and philosophy and mathematics and these sorts of things that you may not have time to do if you, you and your 12 children have to plow the wheat. Right, right. right. 
So it's only with within you know in the evolutionary function of an underpopulated society that wanted to become more numerous and to spread into uh, sedentary lands mm-hmm. were these doctrines of. And if you look, you can even find in the uh, city-state of Sparta, as opposed to uh, Athens and Thebes and Argos and all mm-hmm. these other Greek city-states, they had more than enough population. Homosexual relationships were considered like cultural norm. Mm-hmm. But in Sparta, it was not, because they wanted every sexual interaction to produce a soldier, so they could expand and, and improve their martial conquest and their domination of lands, uh, especially in the context of a much larger Persian Empire that they were trying to prepare themselves against. Um, so it's fascinating to me to see the historical context, which leads to this moralistic religious context, which leads to this falsification of scientific context, <laughs> which leads to people thinking they're wrong, you know? And a little humor note is my favorite um, thing to make fun of is someone who may be a less than, they're less than ahead of the bell curve as far as what you might consider mate selection variables. <laughs> um, you know, physical appearance, mm-hmm. physical strength, financial mm-hmm. success, intelligence, humor. Yeah. Uh, you get the idea. I don't need to be crude about this. <laughs> <laughs> Any more so. And these are the people that you very often see, um, especially back in the day, making negative remarks about people who are uh, homosexual, transgender, bisexual. It's like, you of all people need to be grateful they're taking themselves away from being your competition. <laughs> I had really, you know, I really never thought about that. Oh, I think about it all the time. Like, anytime right. I see some, like, you know, I'm married now, but before that, anytime you see some, like, celebrity-looking guy who's, like, put together, driving a sports car, wearing beautiful shades, he has perfect clothes, perfect teeth, I'm glad I don't have to fight that guy at the bar for a girl. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Thank you, man. <laughs> you know, like, and you're going to knock out another good-looking target that could be competition. <laughs> so if anything, society should be like, thank you for being gay. You know, especially if you're having a little bit of a struggle um, in the dating world competition, right? Like, you know, and I think that... You know what's real, and I'm so sorry, it's just something, I don't know what made me think of this just now, but, but you, I think we still hear this sometimes. And, I, and again, I think um, society is becoming more progressive. Sure. Um, I'm seeing so much more a tolerance and even i think uh, more important than tolerance you know a step above that acceptance um but um uh, kids who are finally coming out you know teenagers 16 year uh, 16 years old 17 years old though who are saying you know i'm gay or i think i might be gay and someone saying to them a parent um you know a, a, another you know person in their um, immediate circle saying, you know, you're too young to know what you want, oh, yeah. right? How, you know, you know, how would you know? Well, how, you know, how do you know you're gay? How do you know you're straight? Right. You know, what, you know, quite honestly, to be, you know, um, just, you know, very blunt about it, what turns you on? Right. I mean, right. what is, I mean, it's, it's just as simple as that. You didn't make a logical calculation and decide, uh, and by virtue of differential statistics, I like blacks. Right. It doesn't happen, you know? Right. So, no, certainly I can see the logic for, hey, you are 16, you're not going to go out there and have large amounts of sexual relationships, you're not maturing. That's one thing. But you know, you know who you gravitate to, you sure. know who, you know, um, who you fantasize about. Right. Who you want to be with. And that should You do that. know that. And hopefully those would be the same prohibitions you would have on uh, heterosexual people. Right, right. Um, right. You know, hey, you may know who you are. But you need to develop some impulse control, and you need to have more autonomy. Um, but we're not going to, you know, we're not going to tell you you can't be who you are. 
Right. You may not be able to act on that yet because you're not legally allowed to, but you know. You know, and um, the one thing in terms of language I think is important, um, and I I hope that people start doing with their children. Um, I remember being young, and I'm not faulting my mom for this. This was a different time, sure. right? I mean, I'm going back to the '80s though, and and you know, oh, is there a girl you like? Oh, do you have a girlfriend? There's this automatic assumption. If you're a boy, you're going to have a crush on a girl. If you're a girl, you're going to have a crush on a boy instead of saying, is there someone you like? Sure. You know, is there, you know. Gosh, you know, I, Ooh, interesting. Yeah. This may be the first area we might even, like, slightly disagree. This is fascinating. Really? Yeah. Tell me about this. Well, in my thinking on this, and I guess this is just, maybe it's militaristic thinking. Maybe it's okay. fall in line, uh, you know. Uh, okay. or, it's the idea that, like, if you're not in the majority, uh-huh. Then it's your job to speak up, right? And I, I'm not saying it's a right. I thing. don't think it is when you're a child. Fair enough. Um, so if someone frames like this, and again, I'm not saying I'm right on this. I'm just spitballing out there. Right? It's absolutely so. You know, if it's one thing to say you can't be a homosexual or right. something like that. On the other hand, it might be. It's sort of like if um, if you're in us, and I know the population setting's growing, but if you're in the minority, it it seems. Not necessarily wrong, but just maybe like not the best use of resources to automatically create a, a bump of, and we're going to leave this open-ended thing as a matter of default. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't have a problem with it, it's just, if you're going to make a bunch of people change their language and stop and go, oh, do you have a person in your life? You know, right. it, it, it just seems, uh, it doesn't seem wrong to do that, it just seems maybe not the highest priority of use of attention or, or willpower or resources. Mm-hmm. Now, right. maybe in an individual household, if someone, like, I don't want to fault a parent for automatically buying blue clothes for a boy or automatically getting a soccer ball when they might actually like doll houses and, and dresses. Sure, sure. Um, now, it's, I think it's different if the child shows alternative tendencies and you, you try to suppress them. Yes, yes. And I don't know that we should, because... Biology and evolution and uh, cultural gender norms mm-hmm. and this sort of stuff, they work for the vast majority of people right. with a minimal amount of conscious effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something to that. So I, I don't think it, and again, I'm, I don't know enough to, be, to say I'm right on mm-hmm. it, but I can see where, I could see a counter argument, you know? Well, and, and absolutely, and you have to, you know, pick your battles, and you, you know, um, you, are, you are right on that. Um, I'm thinking of, what it feels like for that person who's in the minority, but sure. right, we you know, in society, majority rules. Yeah, and you know that probably goes for a number of other things of greater, oh, absolutely greater yeah. or lesser importance. Right, right yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I don't know that it's right. I, you know, it's just sort of like I can see how that because at some point for a society to function optimally with minimal disruption, do we call it Christmas or do we call it? 18 different cultural holidays. It's gotten, right? no, I think you're absolutely right about that. I think... Um, and I know that's a false conflation. I know that's a straw man. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. You know, and I think maybe we're getting off topic. I think that um, political correctness has gotten way too blown out of proportion. You know, I don't even think there's a... Think? Yeah, I don't even think there's a moral problem with political correctness. So much as just an efficiency problem. Mm-hmm. That's you know? okay. But that's maybe a counselor shouldn't be thinking in engineering terms. I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the religious part, and I want to. And speaking of thinking in engineering terms, okay, I love you know, my one of my catch lines with my clientele is like, "Hey, man, 
supporting great that results are bad. Or, or you know, I mean, yeah, and yeah. I'm saying man because I'm talking to a man, uh-huh. but it doesn't necessarily mean you know uh, that I would say man to a woman. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so my efficiency goes so far, guys. But um, so the idea is that like we've done the studies, mm-hmm. in especially in animal populations because the lifestyle, the life times are shorter. You could run multiple generational experiments, mm-hmm. right? And you could gauge a certain level of genetic uh, similarity to people. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking about some mice studies that were done between the 40s and 70s. Okay. And the basic gist of it, well, the latest was done by the um, university, uh, Portland State University in 73. Mm-hmm. At least the latest I've looked at. There may be more in the paper. And the idea is that if you increase population within a given environment, what will animals do? Will they just breed and rear children until they run out of resources and collapse and die mm-hmm. or get a virus or something like that? Or will they have some sort of collective special um, selection mechanism? And we know that in some species, they will run rampant over the environment until a predator comes in, such as, say, deer, mm-hmm. and they, their numbers got back in control when we reintroduced wolf and coyote, mm-hmm. right? So we know that it's, not, it's an open question for animal studies, but mice are a lot closer to us than deer are as far as being social creatures with hierarchies and with intelligence, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and the studies showed that as the population got larger, child care diminished, which is not what we want to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but an aggression did increase as a, a matter of pressure. But what happened is less and less litters were raised and more and more sexual um, relationships and romantic relationships were formed as homosexual pairs. Mm-hmm. And a larger amount, I don't have the, the statistics memorized for this, I probably should have, but, and it was repeated in each iteration of the experiment, 10, 15 years later, the same trend of results was that um, the weaning of children decreased with population and the number of homosexual pairings increased, mm-hmm. right? And to say that homosexuality is unnatural, where um, in, even in animal populations, as conditions are set, homosexuality increases as, who knows, be it genetic or social pressure, I don't, you know, epigenetic, I don't know, this is well mm-hmm. beyond my understanding, but as a natural phenomenon, not only to prevent overpopulation, but also to create sort of collective emotional stability so that you don't have, like, uh, violence over mate selection. If that makes sense. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So to me, and, and these are mice. They're not exactly building skyscrapers, right? <laughs> so, um, right. And, you know, if you go into history, you can make a link. And I'm leaving science behind again to speculation for a moment. But a lot of our great cultures, some of our most, uh, you know, Leonardo da Vinci was an avid homosexual. Yes. Alexander the Great, although we can question whether or not his warfare crimes are worse oh, than if dark you, if you go on, if you go on yeah. Wikipedia, there's a great page on important uh, homosexuals throughout history, and mm-hmm. it's vast. But it's interestingly enough, if you look at their tasks, these people probably could not, with the exception of generals who have other people to raise their children, mm-hmm. someone like Leonardo da Vinci probably could not have managed a nuclear family and the... Um, the psychosis, the the inventions, the art, the political interaction, the cultural revolution movements. Any anytime there's sort of these it's more the hermetic factor, perhaps, than the homosexuality, but they correlate. You know? Mm-hmm. Where a lot of our social advancements are created by people that choose lifestyles alternative to 
go generate enough resources from the data to take care of the thing. Mm -hmm. So not only is it natural, because are mice natural, right? You know, right. <laughs> if mice are natural, and even even sheep and livestock, if they are natural and we're natural, then you can't say homosexuality is not natural. I don't care what your deities like told you. We have evidence that it's right. natural. And if you look into societies where homosexuality is perpetrated and allowed, you have a flourishing of art, literature, and technology. Yes. So the idea that, and then in societies where homosexuality is suppressed, you have a fundamentalism and you have a stagnation of technology. Mm -hmm. right? um, if you look at the, um, let's say the early early Muslim caliphate, the mm -hmm. Umayyads and the uh, Abbasids, they're famed for their technological growth, but a lot of it was just imported from conquered people such as the per uh, the Persian Sassanids, the the Hindu uh, cultures that were conquered, and the Silk Road uh, east-west trade. There were very few innovations in that 1,400-year mm -hmm. period, or 500 to 1,400-year period. Most of the stuff that the Ottomans brought in were um, technological innovations from the east or from the west. Mm -hmm. So you look at, in societies where homosexuality is, or, or alternative lifestyles in general are punished, your society suffers, right? And You're definitely giving me a history lesson. Well, I don't mean to, I go on these rants, I'm sorry, but um, it's just the idea of it's wrong, it's unnatural, there's something wrong with it, you're broken, you're, you know, it's so destructive, and, and also, more importantly, bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Th thank you, thank you. Know? you. So, well, here's, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, religious groups, um, particularly certain fund certain fundamentalist groups, you know, um, when I say, to me, it, it comes down to who are you hurting? Right. Um, they will definitely have an answer for you yeah. for that. Sure. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, you can come up with an answer if you want to come up with an answer. But ultimately, um, you know, when it, what it comes down to, you know, two consenting people, two consenting adults, or, or, or even teenagers, people of the same age, um, then what does it really matter? I certainly know that, um, you know, I, I certainly let go a lot of a lot of pain and anxiety, and, um, you know, when I finally came to terms with who I was as a person um, at 18, that didn't create anxiety for me. That freed me as a person. Yeah, and how could it, how could it be otherwise, right? If you really, you know, it can only be otherwise if you're in, if you're imposed upon by external ideologies that don't line up with reality. Right. Well, and and I was quite fortunate that I did have a very supportive family. Every now and then, might have said something quite honestly a little stupid. Yeah. Um. But I don't think that's uh, unique <laughs> to homosexual upbringings. <laughs> no, it is not. No, it is so, not. Fair enough. No. Uh, th there we go. It's an issue all of us can relate to. <laughs> So thinking about this, some other stuff, um, I want to throw some other things out there that are common, if not maybe unfair, but also common um, okay. with gay issues. Um, so I want to throw a science one out there that is often used as like a toxic way to criticize homosexuality. Okay. And I've already pre-debunked it. So okay. <laughs> but I'd love to hear your perspective. So you made a very good point, I think, of like, hey, look, what two consenting adults do that doesn't lead to any collective or personal harm or human feelings. Right. Especially if the evidence shows it actually turns to homosexuality. Okay. Right? Uh, you never 
you know, here proper val- property values going down as a result of large numbers of gay people. <laughs> <laughs> it always gets prettier, damn it. And I, and I know I'm being stereotypical. Stereotypical, but, right, but yeah, it's, right? Yeah. Um, the most toxic remark I've ever heard as a parallel by a fundamentalist mm-hmm. is that, well, and, and y'all, I'm making fun. These are my people. I am a redneck, so if I, I can use a redneck draw, all right? <laughs> um, well... You know, you start letting uh, them, the homosexual people be together, uh, and you might as well let brother and sister. I don't know if you've heard this at all. I've, I've I heard, think we all have. Okay. Yes. And my, going back to evolution, it's a perfect counter where we have biological imperatives telling you not to engage in sexual relationships with those of close relation to you. Right. You have inner mechanisms of disgust. Uh, there are studies that uh, women will avoid parental or sibling figures while ovulating. Okay, so we have. I didn't know that, but what uh, one study that um, I recently heard about was the phenomenon of people who had been adopted. Right when they find their birth parents or birth siblings, sometimes forming. Uh, feelings of a romantic attachment to them because they they weren't raised with them so sure. they didn't there's get... no feedback loop of chemical yeah yes absolutely and there is also some i haven't dug deep into this but i hear that there are some issues where like uh, close genetic relation or poor genetic compatibility can mm-hmm. often lead to people not liking the smell of the other person mm-hmm. so there are inner mechanisms they may not be perfect right to dissuade uh incestuous relationships yes Whereas the opposite happens in homosexual relationships. As certain conditions are met and we don't have an underpopulation concern, but you could look at it as we have an overpopulation problem or that we lack an underpopulation problem, right? And so we have mechanisms encouraging the increase of homosexuality and discouraging uh, incestuous relationships. Yes. So it's it's sort of a, a false... Red herring, kind of toxic curveball. Absolutely. But I can, you know, I can see people not being prepared to break that. Uh, it's a stupid argument, but I can see it getting past people's absurdity. You know, mm-hmm. check. So if that's something valuable, I don't know if it's worth taking with you. But um, like, I like to. Well, and the thing about bro- here's the thing: the thing about brothers and sisters, or two brothers, or two sisters, um, you're still no matter what you are family, right? And so. You know, when you know when you're gay and you're able to marry, you're able to say this is my family, and um, you know certainly, you know heaven forbid, if or when there's you know a significant problem, um, illness, accident, someone's in the hospital, um, that you won't be barred from that person that you love because you're not family. Right. It's that protection, and for me. I didn't get, I mean, you know, I love my husband, but I, you know, we've been together for several years. I didn't really get married for romantic reasons. Sure. It was for, for protection. Well, that marriage is an institution for that purpose. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, you don't generate more love for someone because you sign a piece of paper and put on some silver. Right. <laughs> right? I should have left you a copy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, I think uh, mine's titanium. There you go. <laughs> but it's one of those things where, like, it is an institution designed to pr- protect family cohesion as a microcosm of decentralized society, right? Um, there's two other toxic points. And look, this isn't, I didn't mean to turn this into like 
how can we dispel all of the bullshit that homosexual people have to endure from dumb comments in society? But I like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So one one more toxic point is the um, with the mechanism of anal sex with the mechanism of polyamorous relationships and open relationships. Mm-hmm. The one critical and toxic remark is that homosexual people spread um, pathogens more frequently than heterosexual people, which I find just stupid. But it, it was certainly a pervasive myth in the 80s and 90s of the mm-hmm. AIDS epidemic. Yeah. Um, have you had to deal with that as far as any sort of like oppression or like accusations of this lifestyle? Have I personally? Or you know, do you see it being used in like lobbying efforts against your interests? You know, it's not... Unfortunately, it's not an exciting or interesting answer. I think I've been very fortunate. No, not so much. Yeah, that's a certain change from the 80s, right? Yeah, um, I mean, every now and then, a client will come in that they're dealing with that. It's usually coming from um, rejection from uh, from primary caregivers. Okay. And that's what they're struggling with. Whoa, or even whoa. extended members of their family. Oh, okay, I thought you meant like providers. Okay, sorry. I was like, whoa, a physician? Okay, family. No, 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 no. Okay, well, yes. that's that's worse, actually. Yes. Um, yes. You know. Yeah. So, so it is still an issue, right? I was thinking like this is some '80s crap that got like debunked. Well, you know, we went again going back to religious beliefs, so it mm-hmm. won't completely. Sure. It's just... it's so much better. That's good. It's so yeah. much better than it used to be. Um, but you know, we still deal with it from time to time. I, you know, I, I feel like I dealt with the worst of it as a teenager, um, primarily in high school before I even knew I was gay. Yeah. And really, once I got into college, and especially being at UNL, and there's such a great diversity there, um, I haven't had to deal with it personally so much. I think the most hurtful things I deal with, really, um, and, and you try to take it with a grain of salt, is, you know, let's say, if you're in the French Quarter, that's not really my thing, but if I occasionally decide I'm not going to be a hermit and get out, and you have people protesting and saying, God does not love you. Sure. And that sucks. Yeah. It still hurts a little bit. Right. Uh, well, if even if you know it's BS, it's the fact that enough people are waving the signs around with the opinions that. Uh, yes. One more, one more thing. I, we're coming up on an hour. And I want to be respectful of your time. Um, but one more issue that is frequently thrown around is like a problem towards homosexual coupling, and we've even seen it in recent like reality TV, like the what is it like the millionaire dating coach or whatever it's called was like openly talking crap about trying to work with gay people because they're in because they they can't be faithful. Gay people are all about infidelity. That's that sort of like right, attack, right, right, right. And you know, with but there is some legitimacy to alternative lifestyles not being understood, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, and if you work with couples and you work with gay couples, you had to have come across infidelity as a core concern just by virtue of any relationship. So what's different when you're talking about infidelity with uh, gay relationships? Can I ask you to be more specific when you say different? So, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, with the, there is no nuclear family without adoption. Right. Or going into a stepfamily of some kind, right? So a lot of the, the sort of like tapering off of promiscuity. Mm-hmm. That would happen with child rearing. Um, that still gets to stay around. It's more acceptable to see multiple people sexually. Yes. You know, um, that doesn't mean that so, people aren't people in jealousy and concerns. And right. Um, right. So, 
Okay, so one thing is we know that there are um, open relationships are more acceptable, but that is not infidelity because that is the agreement that has been reached by the couple. Yeah, if they stay right? within the boundaries of it. Yeah. With, within the boundaries that they have established. So the infidelity happens when someone steps outside of those boundaries, right? Yeah. So when it comes to actual infidelity, I haven't seen that much of a difference except it seems to be when gay couples uh, come to me and there's been an infidelity, um, there seems to be a little more of an understanding that, okay, we screwed up, this is something that happens, I'm really hurt, and I want to feel better, but I want to work through this and move forward. It's not as, as likely to be a real deal breaker. Interesting. So the, the In very, the relationship. So what I'm getting out of this, and correct me if I'm making a wrong conclusion, okay. if the infidelity is used as an attack against gay relationship structure, mm -hmm. And in reality, when infidelity occurs, it tends to be softer damage. Yes, it's softer damage. Yet, this is yet another reason to not only make this point irrelevant, but also completely wrong. Well, right. I mean, yeah. Um, now, if it's a if it's a habitual thing. Sure. Well, right. To say that but, it's not to say that accepting infidelity is healthy and and not accepting is unhealthy. Right. It's just yeah. The. And what does become um, a little trickier um, is this. So I really think, I'm very progressive about this, um, I don't think you should ever dictate to your partner, um, you know, whether you're in a straight relationship or gay relationship, who they can and cannot be friends with. Yeah. And so I think men and women should be able to be friends. I know people who, you know, men and women who have been friends since childhood. And I don't think a spouse or partner should try to get in the middle of that. Sure. That is much more likely to happen in straight relationships. That, no, 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 you're not allowed to have a friend of the opposite sex because what if you end, you end up being attracted to them sure. or something does happen? And I want to make sure nothing happens. And because the thing it's such is, an effective strategy, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, if somebody wants to cheat, they're going to cheat. Right. And right. if you make them feel like you're tightening the noose, it's going to create feelings of resentment. Of course, yeah. And they're more likely to, to, to take the attitude that, you know what, well, I'm going to show you, know, you I, can, yeah. I can do what I want. Um, you really can't do that in gay relationships. I can't say to my husband, you're not allowed to have a male friend, you're married now, <laughs> so you can only have female friends. There's a certain level of trust that just has sure. to be there. My husband, um, you know, we both like opera, but he loves the symphony and I do not. I need vocal music. So, so I am glad that, like, he has a friend or a couple of friends that he can go to the symphony with, and they'll go to dinner and then to the symphony. That is a date, according to a lot of people. Sure, yeah. But, I can't tell him you can't do that. And I would never want to deprive him of that enjoyment. I kind of just have to put the trust in him. And huh. so that is a difference, I think, in, in gay and straight relationships. There's a certain level of trust that just sort of has to be there. And the nuance, right? Yeah, and yeah. I wonder this. Um, that's poor grammar, sorry. <laughs> but is it that with such nuance, right? Mm -hmm. Like You can do this, but you can't do that. But the, the, the understanding of you can do up to this mm -hmm. being normal in a gay relationship, maybe less normal in a straight relationship. Yes, yes. Does that make it difficult for a gay man to maybe 
receive adequate level of perspective and support from, say, family and straight friends if, in their mind, whoa, you let them do that? Right, You know, like, right. is there some difficulty relating between what's the norm? I think that is really going to vary family to family. I, I really do. Um, it's interesting. My mother's never batted an eye when I've said my husband's been out with friends or, or whatever. Okay. Um, you know, um, I mean, it's sort of interesting, like, right, when I was a teenager, um, if you wanted to have a friend sleep over, um, well, they could, you know, you, you bunk together, you slept in the same room. So what if you're a gay teenager? Can your friend sleep in the same room as you? That's an interesting, How does that work? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because you wouldn't. Because there, there is an element of, like, you don't want to be bigoted, but at the same time, you don't want people sexually attracted to each other within proximity. Right. So I could understand both points of view. Right. Yeah. Right. So there, right, there, there are kind of all those factors. There. Yeah. Wow, we covered a lot of stuff, man. Um, so <laughs> It went by quickly. Yeah, th- thanks. I'm, I'm enjoying myself. Um, so, I hope listeners have, have taken something from our rambling. Yeah, and look, I want to get across that a lot of the dumb shit I'm saying, these are not, <laughs> this is not stuff I believe. This is me trying to offer stuff for an expert in this issue to be able to just cut this shit down once mm-hmm. and for all, right? Yeah. Not, not that it will, but I'm, I'm really glad to get the perspective on, like, yeah, like, what I can offer for science and what you can offer from experience and from the philosophy and culture involved behind this. It, there's so many things that you know, have gotten better. And yet there's some things that still are just like standing in y'all's way in ways that even well-meaning straight people probably don't understand. Right. And this is sort of what you do. This is what you've dedicated your uh, world of work to. This is your life's work. It is. It yeah. is. And I'm very, I'm very passionate about it. And I love, um, I love helping all of my clients and I really love helping members of the community. Well, Scotty, man, thank you so much for your time. And thanks for coming on Therapy with Ron. Thank where, you so much. Where can listeners, all 12 of them, connect with you? <laughs> All right. Um, you can connect with me at my website, www.clockcounselingservices.com. And I'll put all this in the show notes um, and the description. So. Um, yes, and all of my contact information is there. And uh, if you reach out to me, I promise I will get back to you within 24 hours. Awesome. Thanks again, Scotty. Take Thank care. you. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we have. It's our calling to provide information and inspiration to help people achieve happiness, self-mastery, and better lifestyles in any way we can. But I'd like to take a moment to remind everyone that though I am a licensed professional counselor, these podcasts are not sufficient to count as clinical intervention nor advice. Please contact a local professional if you find yourself experiencing distress that does not improve with a good and simple routine. And finally, we're striving to improve in all that we do all the time. And as such, we'd love your feedback. If you want to connect with us further, please do so at paragoncounselor at gmail.com or facebook.com slash paragonwellness.